are listening to It Simply Isn't Done, a podcast of Portage Chapel Hill. I'm Reverend Jess Davenport, and I am typically joined by Reverend Barry Petrucci. Barry is on a renewal leave, and we are excited for him and excited to welcome him back mid-October. We are going to have guests join us on the podcast that will reflect on the scripture, on messages, and a little bit about their life and ministry. And we are so happy that you're here. Thank you for your patience in getting this week's podcast out. Not only was it a holiday weekend, but I lost my voice and needed a little time to recover. This week, while Barry is out on leave, we are joined with Andrea Trantham, who is the Children's Ministry Director here at Chapel Hill and all around wonderful human. This week, we are in between message series, so we stuck with the lectionary. And it is the Lucan parable of the rich fool. You are welcome to listen to the scripture and message, or you can check the show notes and skip ahead to the reflection. Hear these words from the Gospel of Luke. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus said to them, Watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Then he told them a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. And he said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things that you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich towards God. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, good morning again. Pray with me. Gracious and holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's an interesting little parable we have for us this morning. The rich fool. I think at first glance, this could catch us off guard a bit. Isn't this farmer doing everything we have been taught to do as Americans? This guy is living the dream. A self-made man whose field produces so abundantly, he needs new storehouses to keep his assets safe. 
He is wisely saving up for his golden years and is going to enjoy life. What's the issue with that? Isn't that life goals? Is Jesus telling us we're supposed to squander money? Is he going on and on again about giving up everything we own? We don't want to do that. <laughs> we don't want to give up everything we own to follow him. Oh, uh-oh, with this parable. Why? Friends, what if I told you this whole parable isn't really about the stuff? It's not really about the stuff. It's about the stuff, right? It's not about the external possessions. It's about what's going on in here, where our priorities rank. The mistake this farmer makes is not having abundant fields or even saving some for later. Right, the scripture ends with Jesus saying, fool, you'll die tonight. This is how it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and are not rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? Well, I'll, pro I'll tell you, I, I don't think it sounds like, well, he said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, self, you have stored up plenty of goods. Enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy myself. I don't know that that sounds rich towards God. Right? There is no gratitude for our creator, for the abundant land and harvest. There was no thanking of all of those who worked the fields for him. There was no, hey, let me make sure everyone in our community has enough because I have this abundance. What a gift it might be to others. The rich fool displayed the kind of thinking that he was a self-made man, that it was all about him and his possessions and his employees. It was all I, I, I. There is an identity issue within this parable. There is an orientation issue within this parable. It's never about the actual stuff. Greed is an internal state of being that manifests in behaviors, right? None of us here are billionaires, to my knowledge, so I don't sense many moral quandaries with making a decent salary, right? Like, that's okay. Some of us don't, some of us are struggling, but generally we're a largely middle-class congregation. But here's the thing, anyone can be greedy because it doesn't really matter how much stuff you have. It would be so much easier if it was just about the stuff, right? But we know it's not. It's thinking that there is never enough and the external things can fix us somehow. And to be fair to us, Right? That's kind of what we're constantly marketed. That external things will fix us. And here's the thing, some of our stuff is really fun. Some of it makes life easier. Some brings delight into our lives. Right? But the scarcity mindset doesn't come and go just with things. Now at the risk of disclosing too much personally and the fear of judgment, when I was in college, I watched a lot of A&E I really liked those silly ghost shows, y'all. <laughs> I don't know why, I, I'm not sure. But every once in a while, I'd watch my silly ghost shows or whatever, and then the next thing that would be on would be the show Hoarders. 
Have you all seen the show Hoarders? Yeah, I only watched it a few times because it made me um, uncomfy, generally. <laughs> but when I watched it, there were these two big takeaways for me. The first, that is, um, most folks that have dealt with hoarding have dealt with serious trauma in their lives. The second is that if that trauma was not addressed, no matter how clean their space was at a certain time, the same patterns would continue and the hoarding would start again because it's an internal issue. It's not about the stuff. And that really kind of taught me even in college, hey, we might not be responsible for everything that happens to us, but we can be responsible for our healing and how we show up in spaces. Our relationship with things can be a form of idolatry. We have a lot of emotion tied in with our stuff. And that is kind of the default setting in the time and space we live. That's what our culture demands of us, right? That we are spending, that we are consuming, that we are buying, right? For what purpose? The message is often, you need this thing to be more complete. You need this thing to complete yourself. And as people of faith, we have to intentionally do some work around this because we're not really trying to be the default. We want to consider our relationships with our things so they have an appropriate place in our lives. When we say we want to be countercultural, it's like this, like this is one aspect, intentionally critically thinking about our relationship with our things. Wealth and things cannot protect us against every ill or harm. Of course, I'm speaking from a place um, where one's family has enough, right? I'm not, I'm not talking about if you're living in abject poverty. That is a different situation. That is a moral failing of all of us, right? But I'm talking about if you, if you have enough, even if you're wealthy, it's not gonna cure you of everything. Being wealthy does not fix your familial or your friend relationships. It doesn't protect you from tragic accidents. It doesn't stop you from getting hurt by other people. And at some point, our things can provide us a false sense of security. And what we learn at the beginning of this scripture, things can drive wedges in families. Our stuff, our wealth can actually tear us apart. And greed and scarcity mindsets, they don't just stop with stuff. Sometimes they pervade our thinking about ourselves. There is not enough of us for what we're called to do. There's not enough of us for what God might have us to do. And we have this imposter syndrome. We have this scarcity mindset within ourselves thinking, oh, I don't know, God. I could never. Right? We saw that when we finished up with Moses last week. Moses doing that same thing. I don't know, God. I don't think I can. The scarcity mindset. And for many of us, I think the fundamental question we could ask ourselves to start doing this work is asking, am I enough? Am I enough? Now, I know there are a lot of churches this morning who might say, well, guess what? You're not. <laughs> You're not. You need X, Y, and Z for you to be enough. And I'm going to kind of present a counter narrative. God created you, called you beloved, gave us enough. You don't have to be enough in every moment, right? You don't have to produce constantly to be enough to God and to be beloved. But even considering yourself outside of the means of production 
You are not what you produce. Your worth is not tied to that, right? Your worth is not tied to how clean your house is, how many cars you might have. Your worth is not tied to your home decor, right? That's, that's not what it's about. And I think that's really important work for us to do considering it's Labor Day. We should consider means of production in all sorts of ways. You are enough. We are enough. Not individually, always, but together, collectively. God put us in community so there would be enoughness so that we can take a break and we don't feel guilty for those times we cannot produce for we are necessarily fallow. I think it's funny that within this parable, the rich fool misuses the Ecclesiastes scripture, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. I'm gonna save up enough, I'm gonna do enough work, and then I will eat, drink, and be merry. That's the opposite of the point that Koheleth is trying to make in Ecclesiastes. Eventually, the rich man learns the hard way what that writer, Koheleth of Ecclesiastes, realized. Friends, you can't take it with you. And all of that work, so hard, right, that's going to end up in someone else's hands. Ecclesiastes puts it this way, who knows whether they will be wise or foolish, yet they will be the master for all of which I toiled and used my wisdom for under the sun. This is also vanity. We are called to eat, drink, and be merry as a part of who we are. It is not tied to our production of things. It is not simply for a celebration when you have worked really hard. Eat, drink, and be merry. We don't, we don't have tomorrow promised. So what does joy look like cultivated in our lives that's not tied to production? Right? Eat, eating, drinking, and being merry, it's not simply a reward for hoarding masses of wealth. This scripture really cuts to the quick regarding if we understand the world and ourselves through scarcity or abundance. If we are in right relationship with our stuff, we can prioritize our human relationships and our relationship with God. And that's what we're called to do. So as you think about this on our Labor Day, as we are about to head to a table of grace where we are called to repent and remember Christ, right? when you're waking up and just thinking throughout this week, I invite you to consider what does it look like for you to be rich in God? What does it look like for us to be rich in God? Friends, you don't need to be afraid of scarcity. We can seek abundance, and often abundance looks like enoughness. So take time to consider that this week. Amen. Well, Andrea, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I am nervous sighted. I am nervous and excited. It's going to be great. Well, it is kind of a weird and slightly narcissistic thing to be like, hey, would you listen to me preach and then come on a podcast I'm hosting and talk to me about? <laughs> so that's that's fair. And um, what's a little bit different for you, too, is you're downstairs, so you didn't even hear it in worship. So you had to do homework for the <laughs> podcast. 
Yes, I was in the the privilege that I spent the bulk of yesterday in the car driving my children places. Mm. Uh, so I was able to listen to to not only your sermon but several of the podcasts uh, to kind of get the flavor. So so I am all caught up. You are an A student. Yes. And um, one of the reasons I feel a little more comfortable doing this is because we assume that the Spirit speaks not only through me, but often in spite of me. So I'm hopeful that she had something to say to you um, via the message. So if you had to, what is a takeaway you had from yesterday? Yes. Uh, I enjoyed uh, the the use of the phrase enoughness, like in... Uh, contrast to the abundance um, and just the idea of um, that it doesn't need to be stuff for us to be in a place of greed like just really our our uh, spiritual health has to do with that which I I liked the idea of that that stuff isn't related to being greedy yeah yeah me too, because on one hand, I have a lot of stuff. None of it's of much value, um, and I'm trying to like weed out the stuff. And it's interesting in thinking through what hold some of it might have on me or not. Yeah, I was talking to my mother-in-law yesterday, um, and we we do like to joke that she could be on hoarders. Um, and I said, you know, I had just read an article that most people that have hoarding tendencies, it's because they have unresolved trauma that they're not ready to talk about. And she said, hmm, interesting. And then moved on to a new topic. And I, yep, that, that, <laughs> that checks. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I was thinking about it too in my, in my sermon prep. Um, I, I don't have any family that, um, you know, clinically hoard. But my great-grandma grew up in the Depression, and we cleaned out her house after she died. She was an incredible woman. And the things we found, just in bizarro places, she had coffee and sugar, like, stockpiled in, like, special places. They had money and, like, um, and books and things. It was, it was really interesting, and I thought about the trauma she must have experienced of, of extreme scarcity of poverty, um, which the majority of us at Chapel Hill are not experiencing, although some of us have at certain times and some of us do. The majority of us don't. We're kind of in this lower middle class space where we have to figure out, well, what do we do with the stuff that we have? And what does it say about us? And how does our identity tie into that? Yeah, there's so much emotional stuff that can ride on the things that we have that it, it Sometimes it's it's hard to separate uh, a memory from an item or a yeah a feeling from that item. So yeah, what do you? How would you define greed? Uh, I I see it as very similar to selfish. It's it's the uh, the only me mm. section of that, uh, and only being able to see my needs and uh, furthering my situation yeah well I think that's what the rich fool was trying to do ultimately Mm -hmm. Um, it was you know when Jesus tells parables I'm always like I don't know Jesus (laughs) you know (laughs) because at first glance this seems like yeah pretty smart 
you know, it's kind of what we're all trying to do. We all try to figure out how to save for retirement and how to have enough and how to set up next generations. Although some of that's implied in the scripture because he never directly says that. Seemingly, it's all for him. Right. It definitely makes me uncomfortable, but I think that's part of the intent. I think that if he just said things that we already were comfortable with and already understood, then what's the point of telling that story? So I think starting it from a point where you're going, well, yeah, that's the right thing to do, and then flipping it is pretty uh, textbook Jesus, I think. It is. That is te- <laughs> so speaking of textbook Jesus, this is a great transition oh. <laughs> into talking a little bit about what you do here at Chapel Hill. Sure. So you're the director of children's ministry, what we sometimes call kidmen. Mm-hmm. That encompasses a lot of things. Um, tell us a little bit about it. Um, so I've been here for I've been working here for ten years, um, and my position has changed quite a bit from when I started. It was uh, just Faith Village, which was preschool through fifth grade at the time. Um, and really, it's evolved into more now uh, from birth up till sixth grade and just helping families navigate how kids are beginning their spiritual life and finding God and understanding themselves in community with one another. And so the way we see that as an entire congregation, if you don't have kids, is often through the children's moment. Yes. <laughs> Which um, sometimes I do not envy the task that you have. Sometimes the what we're talking about is uh, pretty unchild friendly. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, it can be very challenging to find uh, a hook or uh, an avenue. But a lot of times, just the right answer is talking to kids about hard things, which yeah. is part of my job, um, which may not be fun, but they really, you can tell respect when you're willing to say to them, you know, that some things are hard and some parts of life are not very fun. Yeah. What do you wish people knew? Well, let's start with, what do you wish people knew about the kids? Uh, I think the first thing is that they're people. Yeah. Uh, I get very frustrated when my family is like out to dinner and they'll say, how are the two of you doing? Well, there's four of us sitting here and we're all verbally capable of telling you how our day was. Um, And most kids just want to be talked to like people, not in a kid voice, not in a bubblegum, sugary. They just want to be talked like people and listened to that they have real fears and real ideas and real hopes. And those are just as valid as people that are adults. You know, I was thinking about this recently. We're all in stages of development. Some of those are most pronounced in the beginning of life and at the end of life. But we tend to forget that. And there's a point where we think if you have this certain level of comprehension, you have arrived and you are developed, right? But we kind of forget. We start as people. We end as people. We are people all the way through, just navigating different stages of development, And so that's a helpful reminder. What do you wish people knew about your job? Um, I I think the biggest miscomprehension is that I'm only here on Sundays. Sure. uh, That I show up Sunday and then go home uh, where I'm here 
three or four days a week. Uh, I do a lot with the preschool during the week, and I do a lot of developing curriculum and meeting with different folks and talking about worship and talking about what's coming next. And so uh, Sunday might be my big uh, performance, uh, big actually doing the work day. That's what everyone else is here. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, if I've done my job right, Sunday should be easy because I've set all the, the pieces in, in place before then. Yeah. And you do, a, you do a lot of recruiting servant leaders. Yes, I sure do. Yes. <laughs> I'm always looking for new ones. Something I would say on your behalf, as someone who sees misconceptions about your job, um, is that you are not a glorified babysitter or camp counselor. That's true. <laughs> and uh, yes. Sometimes folks have that kind of understanding like, oh, you deal with the children so we can do adult things. And that's not the point of what we're doing at all. Yeah, it really misunderstands my job and it misunderstands uh, the roles that kids have here. Their job is not... Uh, to just be quiet so the adults can worship. They're yeah. here to worship and be part of our community as well. So, for sure. Yeah, we were having this conversation not long ago because every once in a while, someone will tell us that the kids are too rowdy in worship and they can't hear. And um, we have many responses to that. What's one of your favorites? <laughs> uh, be thankful that you have kids in worship is one of my favorite because there's plenty of churches you can go to that are very quiet. Uh, but we are a thriving community, and that's wonderful. Uh, also, that the kids are worshiping, and kids mm-hmm. worship loud, and that that's okay. Yeah, it's developmentally appropriate for them to be, you know, occasionally chucking blocks around. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're soft blocks. They're foam blocks. <laughs> they are. They're blocks. And we try to um, have boundaries. We don't uh, just let whatever happen happen, uh, but also honor their, their experience in worship as well. Yeah. Um, I have two things that I say in my head that I don't often say aloud, but I will now because it's a podcast. (laughs) Um, The first is that Jesus was pretty clear on his stance on kids, which is, let the little children come to me. Let them come to me. Um, And he he goes on to say, anyone, anyone who kind of gets in the way, you're, you're in trouble essentially. So we have to figure out ways to let kids come to Jesus. The other thing I wish folks would consider or think through, we have this phrase, and it's the meaning of it is beautiful. It's that children are the future of the church, Um, but children are the present of the church. They are the now of the church. They are being fostered and formed within the church, which is a community. And we've got to think about that. Instead of how can we form them to be, you know, very quiet with their, you know, their perfect posture, silently sitting in worship, how can we make worship an experience that can um, transcend all sorts of developmental places? And we don't always know how to do that, but I think a basic first starter is all are welcome here. All are welcome in this space. Now, not every behavior is welcome. But all people are welcome, and they're totally different expressions of what worship can look like on a Sunday morning. Some of them include coloring. I think you have to be real careful about gatekeeping K 
kids or anybody in your community with your expectation of that your way of worshiping or your spiritual life is superior to what theirs is. That I was in a conversation online in a Facebook group about what's too young to have communion. And some were saying, you know, seven or eight when they understand what what communion's about. Um, And I on Sunday was holding on to Abby, who's two, and we took communion together and she has just as much capacity for spiritual life and her relationship with God as I do and just because she may not understand all the components of what communion is about doesn't mean that it's not appropriate for her to take it we want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to worship in a way that makes sense to them yeah I think that's really interesting because I I can't speak for other traditions and I know other traditions have different boundaries around communion but when we say open table, we really mean it. Um, and Methodists understand communion as a mystery. So we're already very humbly approaching this really just out of obedience from Christ. So there's really no reason um, that we would hold someone back. Yeah. Uh, before I worked here, I worked at a group home for several years, and my folks would come to church with me and quite often have communion with me. Uh, and a few of them were functioning at a very low academic level, uh, but it would never occur to somebody to say to them that they were not able to, to take communion. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense to make these arbitrary lines of age when uh, all of our developments and understanding of what it means to be with God are at wildly different levels. Yeah. Well, Andrea, I'm so grateful for all that you do and the way that you love the kids around here. And I'm grateful you are willing to be on the podcast. As we wrap up, um, I want I want the people to know a quirky thing, minimally about you and I, <laughs> maybe a little bit about Lisa in the office. Even though we are above the threshold of what a typical TikTok user is, we love the TikToks. We do. I, I, it's true. We share them back and forth because they are wonderful. Yes. <laughs> um, so what TikTok do you have right now going through your head? So I, I hesitate to say because I'm going to get it stuck in your head again. Oh, but, no. But, but the four Gordon Ramsays oh. one <laughs> is my current favorite. Um, I did listen to a couple this morning talking about how to talk to your older teen, which is really helpful, and how to deal with uh, toddler breakdowns, which I I need. Uh, but singing about four Gordon Ramsays is my current favorite. Uh, let the people let the people know a little bit about what that is. <laughs> uh, it is just a man singing, um, very much like a. Oh, what do you call it when you're you're waving your stein back and forth type of um yeah yes uh he just pounds on the table and sings about if somebody had cloned gordon ramsay and them fighting to the death essentially and it is the the ridiculousness of it and the fact that there's rules and a backstory uh that just hooks me in i just that, that gets me every time I have found myself really appreciating the absurdity of TikToks because I just think they're really funny. Um, the one that's going in my brain right now, I shared this on my on my Instagram and my Facebook this morning, but it's like a basset hound that got loose in like a JV high school girls basketball game. 
and he, it's just running around the gym playing the Dukes of Hazard theme song, <laughs> and none of the kids can get it. It's like a greased-up pig. And the kids are trying to jump after it, and it's just happy as could be, and eventually it just runs out and leaves the gym. But that kind of stuff brings a lot of joy to my morning. Oh. You know, it's like 30 seconds, and I just get a little giggle. Yeah, a little serotonin bump yeah. to get through the day. I love it. So even though we are trademark olds, um, <laughs> yeah. we enjoy the TikToks. And if you do, you know, put us on the group chat. Send us a, send us a TikTok. Yeah, we'll watch it and probably talk about it. <laughs> we will, yes. <laughs> All right, well, we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.